Greetings, everyone. This is the good doctor, Dr. Jeff Libman. Actually, not the good doctor, the evil doctor, evil dose himself. And by himself, I mean himself alone. A rare solo show of Uncaged, where we cover Rampage for our friends at the PWC and Hameen Media Group and Channel Attitude. And for all of you, we know that we owe you two episodes. We know we screwed the pooch and didn't do an episode last week. Um, I could give you an excuse, and it wouldn't be true, but I could say last week's Rampage, meaning June 2nd, wasn't even an AEW television show. And in fact, it really wasn't, and the viewership showed it, and it was so bad that the viewership this past week, which was actually an AEW television show, and for a Rampage, was not a bad one. Um, Actually, it was pretty good. It it went back to being a, a fairly easy hour of television. I'm not saying it was great, but the bar is a little bit low. Anyway. So it is I, Jeff Lippman, riding solo. Jimmy T is MIA, and we hope he's okay. Um, Chris uh, Ams, like lambs or bullshit in the morning. Well, Ams without, I'm sorry, lambs without the L or bullshit in the morning. Uh, And if you don't remember, he'll repeat it every time, and it's best that he does that, not me, because clearly it's not my catchphrase. Um, But... He had exigent circumstances, so up until about an hour ago, he and I were going to record this uh, on Sunday, June 11th, uh, but he's unable to. I sent up the bat signal, and listen, Jimmy's done that a few times before, and usually somebody responds to Jimmy, because he's well-liked. People like him. Don't know why. I can't explain it to you, Um, but nobody has responded to me as of yet. Now, it hasn't been a lot of time. I'm a little bit impatient. but also, you know, when you're evil dose, you're not as well liked. You, yeah, making friends just isn't my strong suit. So it's just going to be me. Um, anyway, that allows me to be a little bit less filtered. So let's get right into it. I don't want this show to go forever and ever. Uh, and quite frankly, some of the Rampage episodes and shows don't really deserve uh, all that much coverage. So anyway, two weeks ago, two Fridays ago, June uh, 2nd, Rampage opened up with the AAA Mega Championship on the hook, on at risk, I guess, I think. Um, yeah, I'm sure that it was. And it was the champion who we've now known as the greatest wrestler of all time, of all history, better than anyone you've ever seen before, anyone you will ever see again, the one and only El Hijo del Vinkingo. He has absolutely surpassed his father, Del Vikingo, um, and he was facing two very worthy challengers in Commander, who I'm not sure we've ever seen win a match on AEW. I don't know what his record is in AAA. And Dralistico, who I'm pretty sure we've never seen win a match in AEW. Um, certainly not a singles match. Uh, I'm not even sure whether he's signed to AEW, though even with some of the people who are signed, I'm not sure if they're signed to AEW. But Drew as we know, being the brother of Dragon Lee and Roosh, who we haven't seen on TV on AEW in some time, because apparently when he tossed Jungle Boy roughly, that was too rough, and he actually got it suspended. Um, There is a little bit of news about Roosh and his father. Yes, the same father of, as I understand it, Drew and, and Dragon Lee, and that is El Bestia, that they have severed their ties with AAA, uh, and, you know, that they apparently, well, sort of what Sasha 
and Naomi were saying about when they walked out on WWE uh, about, a, I say three W's, WWE, about a year ago, um, that there were promises and assurances made and they weren't kept. Okay. You know, what, what can I say? Um, could it be that Roosh has a paying gig that pays him a lot and he doesn't have to do anything? And even when he gets suspended, he gets paid? Maybe. I don't know. Um, if there's other news that pops up in my head uh, regarding AW that's important, I'll bring it up. Otherwise, I'm sure we'll catch up when we start doing more normal shows during the course of the week. Anyway, so triple threat, Julistico, Commander. Uh, this match was horrible. There was there was a point in the match where all three of them sort of took took turns, like sort of rotating themselves, like like basically jumping onto the ground, which is like a circus trick that I've seen with circus dogs, like when little dachshunds one one jumps down um, onto the ground and then it pops back up, but the other one jumps almost to simulate a circle going um, on a on a you know a Ferris wheel or whatever. Um, and but that's what these guys were doing as if that's offense and as if throwing yourself down onto the campus would be uh, offense or defense. I mean, it's defense if someone is running the ropes towards you, I suppose, and forces them to jump over you. But nobody was doing that. It was it was just weird. This this was the entire spot fest. Um, moves were set up obnoxiously long. Uh, El Vikingo del Hijo, El Hijo del Vikingo. I continue to not be impressed by him. The more I see him, the less impressed I am. And by the way, I saw him on, on MLW this week as well, because MLW is so far behind. Taya Valkyrie is still on their TV show. Um, but uh, they're in Tijuana, uh, probably and for the next probably seven episodes that they'll have on, because that's what they do. They they have a you know a paid show, which in this case was in Tijuana, obviously co-sponsored or co-booked by MLW and and you'll you know you'll see those local people and El Vikingo has been on a few of them and and they've done this before where and then on the YouTube show or on the real show well it's only been on the YouTube show you'll see like the next three four maybe more episodes are from that live show um, anyway so I've seen him twice so you know his moves are always the same and yeah he can, he can do a flip and land on somebody's shoulders and he can uh, do you know and then pretend to turn that into a hurricane rod. Uh, Hurricane Rana, even though the person is giving him, you know, uh, what they call it, like chicken fights when you put someone, when you put a kid on your shoulders. Um, anyway, so he, he was, uh, he does that and then pretends he's doing an offensive move and he can also jump off somebody's shoulders. Wow. So exciting. Um, like you can't see that in any circus act. Anyway, not a very good match. Um, El Hijo del Vikingo retained his AAA championship. Whew. What a relief. I was so worried. Uh, you know, that, that'd be cray cray if another AEW person held the AAA Mega Championship, as we know Kenny Omega had it for a while and that we sort of never heard about. By the way, Kenny Omega is still the New Japan IWGP US heavyweight champion. I continue to forget that every time until they mention it. I wonder if you do too. Let me know. Um, let us know. So the next match. I believe was the New Japan Pro Wrestling World Television Champion one Zack Saber Jr. in a match for the title again, not an AEW title, not really an AEW story against Action Andretti. So Action Andretti is not really known for being a technical wrestler at all. Zack Saber Jr. of course is you know sort of the consummate technical wrestler, um, you know 
right up there with, you know, people like Brian Danielson, you know, maybe Bret Hart. I don't, I don't know. Like the, you know, the D Malenko, uh, you know, that style of wrestling, but really that's all he does is, is the technical wrestling action Andretti. If he has any style of wrestling, it's sort of the fast pace, acrobatic, jumping around type of wrestler, a little bit more Americanized than Lucha, but definitely Lucha in, uh, um, influenced. But we, I, I, you know, technical wrestling, I, you know, I haven't seen a lot of that out of him. I'm not saying that he doesn't have it and can't do it, um, but that's not really his forte. And this was an odd pairing. Of course, you know, what has um, Action Andretti done to earn a shot at the uh, NJPW World Television Champion? Arguably nothing. I can't remember the last time he won a match on AEW television that wasn't the his debut match against Chris Jericho. Maybe he's won others. I don't know. Um, but anyway, th- this was this match went way too long. Um, Action Andretti could counter, and he, and he can technical do technical wrestling a bit, but it's it's not really a strong suit, and and he could never really get off the ground with his his method of fighting, which is, is of course what Zack Sabre Jr. does. He takes your air game away from you by sticking to a ground game and stretching you and doing this, that, and the other thing. Anyway, this match took way longer than it should have, but Zack Sabre Jr. maintained his title and successfully defended uh, the New Japan World Television Championship, not the New Japan Strong World Television Championship, which I'm sure one exists. Actually, I'm not sure one exists. Um, the next non-AEW match on AEW television was the new Japan Pro Wrestling Strong Women's Championship being defended. The champion is Willow Nightingale, who you will recall won the match in an audible when former Sasha Banks, Mercedes Monet, uh, basically fell off the top turnbuckle and broke her uh, ankle. Uh, we don't know what a return date for her is. We don't know what her status is. But anyway, they called an audible and they had Willow win the match so she can defend it. And Willow is an AEW wrestler, though, you know, we don't see her that regularly or, or we do in bits and spurts. Anyway, she's defending this champion. She's the New Japan Strong Women's Champion, uh, you know, by hook and crook, um, you know, or at least by, um, I guess, uh, Victim of her circumstance, but a winning victim of her circumstance. Anyway, that's how she has the championship. And she was facing Emi Sakura, sort of the natty nightheart of the Japanese women wrestling uh, movement. Sometimes a trainer in AEW. I'm not really sure how often she does it. Probably not that much. But I do, I do believe that she trains uh, a lot of the, the Japanese women in, um, uh, what's it called, stardom. And uh, among others, maybe Joshi. I'm not even really sure about this. I'm sort of talking a little bit out of my ass here. Um, anyway, this was a match. Not particularly exciting. Willow Nightingale retained her, her championship. Again, not an AEW championship. Yes, two women that we've seen on AEW a few times, but still not an AEW story. None of these was a, were AEW stories. That was sort of the the theme of this show, which leads us into... The next match, our main event, which was the Ring of Honor Pure Champion. Again, didn't Tony at some point say Ring of Honor and AEW were going to be split and we would be seeing less Ring of Honor on AEW television? I mean, that evaporated about as quickly as the WWE brand split evaporated. 
which is to say immediately. Um, so the pure champion is Ketsuyori Shibata. I know the name. I know what happened to him. I know that, that he couldn't get cleared to wrestle in Japan, but he got cleared to wrestle here um, by AW. Uh, he basically broke his head. Uh, I think he has a steel plate in his skull or there's a piece of his skull missing. Uh, but in any case, his challenger was Lee Moriarty, who loses a whole lot more matches than he wins. He is a technical wrestler. Uh, way back when, when uh, the Blackpool Combat Club, before it was even called the Blackpool Combat Club, and Daniel Bryan, I mean, Brian Danielson was talking about some of the wrestlers he was targeting to take under his wing. One was Wheel of Yuta, one was Daniel Garcia, and one was Lee Moriarty. Three wrestlers that do zero for me, absolutely zero. Um, anyone who's listened to me on either Channel Attitude, Ami Media Group, and or PWC or in any other form, you already know this. I, I'm not interested in any of these three guys. They're all too slim. Their wrestling style is boring. Their personalities are boring. Um, you know, they're, they're sort of almost like uh, a, a, a triad of what I think is wrong with wrestling these days. You have undersized people who can only do technical stuff. And even that, it, it's, it's not even necessarily that good. They can't talk. They don't have much personalities and much personas, except we're bad. <laughs> um, anyway, so this is a match again. You know, I don't know how much I don't have much insight. I'm not going to give you play by play on this match. And in this match, uh, Shibata did retain over a game Lee Moriarty, who might be in the firm, might not be in the firm. Don't know. Big Bill wasn't with him. Stokely Hathaway wasn't wasn't with him. You know, the Gun Club has long ran away. Uh, Ethan Page is now controlled by Matt Hardy, as uh, we'll find out uh, uh, shortly. But anyway, after the match, and this was, I guess, supposed to be a tense moment, Daniel Garcia came out to face off with Shibata, and I guess uh, Daniel Garcia will be Shibata's next opponent next week, this week on Rampage, which would be uh, the 16th, I believe. Um, Anyway, so th this was not a very exciting show. This was, like I said, this was not an, even an AW show, in my humble opinion, and it showed. Only 357,000 people watched the show. It was in the 10 o'clock normal time slot on their normal channel, which is TNT. Um yeah, no excuses. I don't even think there was an NBA game that was uh, competing with it. But either way, um, not a very good match. So that's what you're getting. You know, you're getting a half-assed review um, for a show that arguably was not even an AEW show. I mean, if anything, these matches should have been on Forbidden Door, except they were, you know, too uninteresting for Forbidden Door, not, not high enough stakes. So, all right. So let's move on to the June 9th AW Rampage show, which was actually much more of an actual AW television show. And as far as formatting was concerned and the show flow, I thought it was okay. Um, you had a, a nice little mix of vignettes and interviews and backstage segments um, along with wrestling. Um, the crowd was dead. This was in Colorado Springs. It was the third hour of Rampage, I presume. Um, that crowd was pretty dead for Dynamite as well. I'm sorry. Did I say third hour of Rampage? I meant Dynamite. Um, 
And I don't know. No one really seemed to want to be there. A little bit surprising because there actually were uh, some matches of significance. At least one, in fact, you know, the main event was a fatal four-way for a challenge at the AEW Women's Heavyweight Championship. So against Tony Storm for this coming week, this Wednesday, uh, the 14th, on Dynamite. Uh, and presumably coming out of that might be some stories that have something to do with Collision. Maybe, maybe not, because who knows? Um, maybe to do with Forbidden Door. Who knows? Maybe, maybe not. But it would make sense that you might have someone from Stardom or another promotion wrestle Tony Storm or whoever the champion is. We'll pretend that Tony Storm has a chance of not retaining um, at Forbidden Door. Anyway, so this was at the Broadmoor World Arena. There might have been a few hundred people left in the uh, in the arena. So our first match was the Lucha Brothers and Bandito. Okay, so let's touch on this for a second. Lucha Brothers are the Ring of Honor Tag Team Champions. Um, we haven't seen them doing a lot of doing a lot of winning on AEW TV in a while. And again, you know what I said earlier about Ring of Honor not being on AEW applies equally here. Um, I don't know that they've brought any prestige to the Ring of Honor Tag Team Championships. Uh, you know, you might as well just go with the Ring of Honor, more or less exclusive acts like the Kingdom. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's others. I haven't watched Ring of Honor since, well, it, it, those of you in HMG and Channel Attitude, uh, you've uh, seen or at least know that uh, Jimmy T and myself reviewed the first three episodes of Ring of Honor and then stopped. Um so that's less than I saw a Ring of Honor show. But Bandito, he's been paired with pretty much everyone except other luchadors, which is what would make sense. They put him with best friends, which made no sense. Uh, usually Orange Cassidy wasn't around. It was usually uh, Trent and um, who's the other jabroni? Chucky e. T. Oh, he's terrible. You know, Dan Housen is still hurt. So they put Band- uh, Bandito with him with them, and, and they pretty much lost every match that they were in. So anyway, this is Bandito and the Lucha Brothers against Big Bill, Lee Moriarty, and Ethan Page. So Big Bill, Lee Moriarty, and Ethan Page used to be in the firm. Maybe they sort of still are. We know Ethan Page isn't um, because he lost his match on the pre-show during Double or Nothing, and his contract is now controlled by Matt Hardy. Doesn't necessarily mean he's not in the firm anymore. It's just that Matt Hardy has veto power. Anyway, let's just say he's no longer in the firm. But the story here is, and at least there was a story. At least they, at least they remembered these details. The story was that because this match was signed prior to that match and the outcome being known, that Matt Hardy allowed Ethan Page to um, fulfill his commitments. And, you know, they mentioned that twice. Okay, listen, kudos. That's the kind of detail that AEW has typically or historically ignored, forgotten, dropped all all of a sudden. And listen, is it a great story? No, but it's something. I mean, you know, listen, we, we've been dealing with Brock and Cody now since uh, right after WrestleMania. We still don't know why Brock attacked him. And Cody's come up with a couple things, but, you know, Brock hasn't said anything. And I came up with something. People said, well, that's not a great one. I, and I said... I didn't say it was a great one, but at least it's a wrestling story. Uh, So for those of you who never heard, this is what I was saying, is that Brock should have said that he went after Cody because Cody let him down um, because he was not particularly invested in Sami Zayn or Kevin Owens or anyone else. He didn't think that any of the other challengers could beat Roman Reigns. 
Uh, and because at SummerSlam, when Brock lost his match, he lost the ability to challenge for the universal title as long as Roman Reigns held it. He, you know, he was frustrated. He wanted to, he wants to challenge for that title again. He thinks it should be him. And he bought into the hype just like everyone else did. And he was, and he was banking on Cody to win. So Cody let him down and because Cody let him down, now he's getting his wrath. Uh, is that great? No. Is it particularly creative? No. Is it better than the nothing we've had? I dare say yes. Um, so anyway, reasonable minds can differ on that. So anyway, so we have Big Bill, Lee Mori- Moriarty, um, in between scheming against Sherlock Holmes, and Ethan Page, who apparently is in there sort of reluctantly. So here we go. The bell rings and starts off with Phoenix and Page. Uh, Phoenix takes down Page, and then they sort of trade counters, reminding us that Ethan Page can, in fact, do chain wrestling and and, and can do moves. Um, Phoenix uh, hit Pages with a dropkick, and they tag in their partners. So we now go with uh, Bandito and Moriarty, and you know they go into their sort of yay boo kind of blow thing, um, blows thing, not blow thing. Blow thing couldn't. Yeah, you know, I'm not doing blow by blow. That's not really what I do. So anyway, at some point, Big Bill tagged in. You did, of course, the big man, small man thing. They're all small next to Big Bill. Uh, Penta, instead of wrestling like he used to, just just stands there and says, Zero Miedo, over and over again, sticking his fingers into people's face or as high as you can get it close to Big Bill's face. And it's, you know, it's irritating. Big Bill tries to go for a choke slam because apparently he's got a choke slam and, and the big kick, those are his only two moves. Um, and he gets hit with a thrust kick by Penta. And then, uh, then we have some Lucha nonsense, which results in big bill being thrown outside the ropes. Um, Penta is then alone in the ring at this moment. Um, and he wants to leap through the ropes to a topo suicida onto bill, but he's, Met with a huge fist to the face. So great. Uh, Big Bill remembered that he could throw a punch as well. So you get all six men fighting outside for a bit. Uh, Bill tosses Penta back into the ring. And Ethan Page is back up on the Ray apron. He's spending a lot of time talking to the fans and yelling with the fans. Uh, Big Bill is hes in the corner. He's choking Penta because that's what a seven-foot guy needs to do. He would choke him. He wouldn't kick him. He wouldn't punch him. He wouldn't hammer blow him. He wouldn't... Uh, body slam him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't do the, the razor's edge. He wouldn't do power slams, nothing. He, he would just sit there and choke him. Um, anyway, the action continues through a commercial. And when we come back, Bandito's finally tagged in. Uh, but Bill is just too big for Bandito. Bandito's about 185 and probably about 5'8"-ish. So that he should be. And uh, Bandito runs basically into the kick in the chin, which, again, his big... T- Big Bill's big kick to the chin, which is all it needs to be is him just throwing his leg up and someone running into it. But that, I mean, for a guy his size, that's not really a criticism. It's, it's actually fine. Um, then we get more Moriarty in, uh, and, but he tags Page in almost immediately, who drops Bandito, uh, with a power slam, goes to the cover, but Bandito cut, uh, kicks out. And basically we get more Lucha Magic. A lot of people falling out of the ring, fighting all over the place. Um, and basically we get a triple team of Big Bill by the Lucha team. And around the same time, 
we then see, well, first we hear the Hardys music and the Hardys come out with uh, Brother Zay and they're interrupting the match and they're talking to Ethan Page the whole time who instead of paying attention to the match is listening to them um, and they'll say he that they'll fine him um, if he doesn't wear Jeff Hardy's arm gear and Jeff Hardy says he gave him two of those like forearm elbow gears. They, they cover his forearm and sort of they find purchase around his uh, upper elbow. And so Ethan Page puts that on uh, for reasons. Um, well, I guess to avoid the fine. Uh, and I don't know why Matt Hardy would want his guy to be not paying attention to the match, but that I guess that's how you make money when you earn a contract uh, by getting the loser's pay window. Or maybe he just doesn't care. Maybe this is just about um, humbling uh, Ethan Page. Whatever. In any event, as you might have figured out by now, this distraction allowed Bandito to nail uh, poor Ethan Page for his finisher, and that was a three count. And, you know, does uh, Lee Moriarty and Big Bill get angry and beat up Ethan Page over this, you know, saying how he betrayed them, how he let them? No, no, that's all dropped. It's this. The whole story is all about Ethan Page, you know, and the Hardys. The, you know, the, the Lucha team doesn't even really celebrate that much because why would they not? They're not going for trios titles. They're not going for the six-man and Ring of Honor. They're not going for the trios in AEW. Um, so, you know, this is a match. It had a little story. But, it, you know, this, is, this had an AEW story in it. This was more or less an AEW match. And, it, you know, it was pretty bad, but it wasn't terrible. Um, the next segment, sadly, the highlight of the show, I've been missing this. I'm like those old MTV commercials where I want my MTV, except I want my QTV. And sadly, I mean it when I say that. I do. I, I, I wanted my QTV. I've, I've been missing it. I'm not really sure what's happening to me. Because um, sometimes every now and then they're funny. Now, it doesn't make sense when they were dealing with Hobbs and Hobbs wasn't funny and he wasn't particularly interesting in it. And he sort of seemed to be an afterthought, not the focus. Uh, And originally, I think this was all about Hobbs, but that wasn't working, but they stuck with it. And it's actually pretty funny. So anyway, we, you know, you get to the QTV studio, you get the disclaimer up first that, you know, the you know, QTV represents only QTV and not AW or the network, this, that, and the other thing. And QT Marshall says the QTV needs to be edgier with collision coming on. And he says that one of QT Marshall's students was uh, cut off by, <laughs> I, I don't even know. It was, it, it was something about one, one of Marshall's students was cut off. And then QT says, this is not 1997. So this is, this is, this is not what happened. Okay. Obviously I'm, I'm reading the summation that someone wrote up, but they got it wrong. My memory is better than this. I QT was saying they need to be edgier. And that's where Harley Cameron came in and said, well, I can be edgier. I've got things that people are interested in. And QT says, this is not 1997. And she's like, to be clear, I was talking about Maya. And, you know, she was going to say boobs or breasts or whatever, but they, they cut her off. Uh, and she is not one of his students. She's one of the staffers there. So whoever wrote this up is uh, a dummy. And, but I'm the one who was reading from it. So I'm a bigger dummy. Um, see, Chris and Jimmy usually take notes when they're going to be the host. But, you know, I'm in this sort of, you know, 
by surprise, not really expecting to do it. I'm not even sure I'm going to publish this goddamn thing. Um, but I guess at this point, I might as well. Anyway, um, so that was that. So uh, Aaron Solo says that they could buy everyone ice cream, and then somebody says that's been done. Obviously, the first joke was an allusion to the Attitude Era. This was an allusion to when CM Punk first came back and bought everyone ice cream in the arena, uh, the CM Punk ice cream bars. Um so they're trying to do something new anyway. Um, and there's still that random white dude that's in the back that wears an Oxford and I don't know what he's there for. He just takes notes and adds almost nothing except for a body. I'm not, I'm not sure why that can't be a wrestler. I'm not sure what happened to Anthony Gogo or Nick Camarado or any of the other people who were part of QT Marshall's group. I am aware that the factory did officially disband, but, uh, apparently QT and Aaron Solo still are together. I, I, I don't know, uh, you know. You just have to surmise things. Don't be surprised if any of these people pop up again with this group. Don't be surprised if it turns out their contracts weren't renewed and nobody knows about it for years. Don't be surprised by anything. Anyway, QTV says that the champ needs to go out on Rampage and show the fans what Collision is all about. Now, by the champ, I think he was talking about Hobbs at that point, but it wasn't entirely clear. Um, And then we got there was a commercial break and it went to the collision promo that you've seen a hundred times from AW centered around CM Punk. So maybe he was calling CM Punk the champ. I, I, I don't know. It really wasn't clear, but you know, if this is at all loosely about Hobbs, that's, uh, that seems to be what they might be talking about. But Hobbs of course is not a champion. He's a former champion uh, and a short lived one at that. Anyway, speaking of Hobbs, we come back from the commercial and powerhouse Hobbs in his most recent restart is once again starting out doing squash matches so squash match against local enhancement talent they introduced a guy named caleb crush as being from colorado springs colorado so he got you know he got a a nice little loud pop hobbs comes out with the qtv crew and basically um after a, a, a lock up and some pretend um struggles Hobbs was almost immediately too much for poor Caleb. Uh, hit him with a huge lariat, basically picked him up, put him on the top rope, knocked him back down into the ring. Uh, Crush tries a little baby face comeback, but Hobbs is way too much and, and just hits him with the spine buster for the win. This match was maybe 90 seconds, if even that. And which is fine if you're reintroducing us to Hobbs, but he hasn't been gone that long to be reintroduced. This is, I mean, He's had so many stops and starts. You know, first when he turned heel against, I think it was against Brian Cage, maybe initially. Um, and then he was in the tag team with Starks, but Starks turned face and they were trading the, while well, fighting over the FTW belt, which isn't a real belt, which is still somewhere out there. Um, Hook has it. Somehow it was always within the, the Taz zone. It was always with people in Team Taz. Uh, uh, it was with uh, Brian Cage for a while. It was with uh, Ricky Starks for a while. Uh, I think Hobbs had it for for a bit. I'm not even sure. I know he hit someone in the head with it uh, a couple times. Um, and now Hook has it, even though he's not uh, formally affiliated with his father. They recognize him as being father or son. But Hook is his own man, except when he's with Jungle Boy or doing anything else because he's not really doing anything important and his steam is way down as it should be because he really doesn't know how to wrestle it's uh he he can do moves when people walk to him but 
if he's got to go to anyone, he, he can only do like body blows and that's about it. Um, anyway, so anyway, Hobbs with the squash match, you know, this, this is what they had for him after he came back of, you know, doing his wanderings through, uh, Oakland, writing the book of Hobbs. There was a book of Hobbs. Apparently the book of Hobbs isn't done, even though it's hard bound and doesn't seem to be any second editions coming out, no sequels, no nothing. We don't know what it said. It wasn't even that big a book, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm not sure if he's still writing. There's a lot of people writing now in wrestling. Paulo Cruz was writing. Dijek was writing. All sorts of people are writing. I think even Ilya Dragunov was talking about writing recently. I don't know what it is with writing. Of course, scripts was writing. Um, it, maybe he was writing uh, false scripts. I don't know. Giving out uh, fake prescription drugs. Maybe he'll get busted in this in the opo- opioid epidemic. I don't know. Um, anyway, so Hobbs back to beating up local jobbers until they figure out what to do with him. Um, he was mentioned, however, in uh, the next segment, which was an interview backstage with Arn Anderson and Wardlow being interviewed by Renee Paquette. So Renee, uh, you know, clearly is talking to Arn and wants to know, you know, what's going on with Brock, Brock Anderson, not Brock Lesnar, Brock Anderson, having been beaten up by, Luchasaurus and Christian, presumably in their locker room, uh, to teach Arn Anderson a lesson because Arn, of course, very slowly, um, but did manage to prevent Christian from getting the TNT title in the latter match, which enabled Wardlow to beat Christian at his own game in a match that was almost okay, but really wasn't. It was too awkward, and it was uh, Wardlow in a in a ladder match. Really, isn't anything was good though. He did that did the that Swanton. It was pretty crazy for a big guy. So. Kudos for trying. I just, it just, the match wasn't good. But that segment when Arn did interfere in it, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it a million times and you've heard a hundred people talk about it by then, but Arn took forever to get there. So Christian, like, literally could have pulled down the belt six times uh, before he was interfered with. Anyway, that's not the story. So Arn basically uh, alluded to Renee that, that she's married to a savage and a, and a maniac. So she must know what's going on in Arn's heart and soul right now that he he's looking for revenge. Um, and Wardlow basically was saying, Hey guys, you took it to a whole new level. You crossed the line when you went after Arn's kid, uh, Christian, I beat you at your own game and Luchasaurus. If you want this belt, uh, you know, come for it. But then he strangely pivoted to, uh, him having an open challenge for Wednesday on dynamite. And it was obviously, Accepted by Luchasaurus, right? Right? No, wrong. It was not. It was accepted by Jake Hagar. Um, and Wardlow reminded us that they've had their wars before, uh, and that Jake Hagar must have forgotten about that. Um, I remember they did, they did the MMA style fight. Um, and Wardlow won that one, even though Jake Hagar is the only one that's a real MMA fighter, but still that, that actually wasn't bad. That was like during the first or second year of AW. And actually, you know, for what it was, it, I think it, over-delivered. Um, this was not great. Uh, Arn didn't seem like he really had his heart into it. He seems a little low energy, and Wardlow is not a great promo. Like, they were both okay. This is not terrible. I don't want to give anyone the impression I thought this was terrible or bad. It just wasn't good. It was just it was just okay. Um, so it was just okay for me. Um, you know, they haven't forgotten about Luchasaurus. Uh, Christian hasn't forgotten about himself. Um, I don't know exactly what they're going to do with revenge for Brock, but Anderson, not Lesnar. They did show us the picture of Brock Lesnar or the video of Brock, not Brock Lesnar, Brock Anderson 
on on the floor there in the locker room beat up with a little bit of blood smeared on him as opposed to like blood dripping all over the place. I mean, it, it just strikes me as so weird that AW, which uses blood all the time, real blood, fake blood, blading, pills, whatever. And they had blood smeared all over Luchasaurus as if he like just laid in like a really horrific beating. And there's just like this little bit of dried blood on um, Brock Anderson's forehead area. Uh, it's not tripping all over the place. He's not covered in his clothes aren't covered on it. It's just, it, it, <laughs> It's just for a place that's so accustomed to using blood and blood uh, generously that the one place the blood is actually part of the story, and it was garbage. All right. Speaking of garbage, we get the Spanish Announce Project, which is Serpentico, Angelico, and Dr. Luther. So let's take a break here and say something nice about Dr. Luther. Dr. Luther, when when I first saw him, and, you know, I never heard of him. I'm, I'm not going to lie. A lot of people, you know, said he was Jericho's best friend and they worked together in Japan and this and the other thing. All I saw was a middle-aged fat guy, um, you know, slightly better shape than, say, Evil Uno. Dr. Luther has gotten himself into pretty good shape. I mean, he's not Billy Gunn, but he's, you know, he, he's and he's not PCO, you know, jacked, but he's he's getting there. Um so he's been trying, which is good. Um, anyway, not important because who are they facing? The Acclaimed. And the Acclaimed, who ran through the trios division to get a trios title match at Double or Nothing, only to lose it. Uh, so you would presume they would switch back into the tag team lane and, and try to build their tag team resumes up. They, they tried for the, the six-mans. They couldn't. Um, they did say they did have a promo where Billy Gunn deserves to have gold one more time. I guess now in hindsight, they were talking about the trios titles. They're still looking for that. Hey, maybe they should look to the ring of honor, uh, six mans. Of course, those are silver, not gold. Um, I don't know. Uh, I, you know, you know, maybe the FTW belt, maybe, maybe something else, but no, it, it looks like they're going for more trios because they're fighting these guys. Anyway, they do a round. It was pretty funny. Because I didn't take notes, I can't really remember any of the lines, except uh, there there was something where the last sentence ended that, you know, we know the meanings, and, and that's because Spash Announce Project has small penises or, or something like that. Um, but, you know, it was funny, but it reminded me a little bit too much of the tiny balls thing that's going on with The Miz, and that is, you know, a lot of, little bit of Vince McMahon humor there. Um, though the acclaim do it better. Listen, their, their raps are the, are the highlight of almost every show they're on. Um, even if you don't like their matches, their highlights are, and their, the raps and the songs that, you know, they're not, they're not all a plus, but when they get them right, they get them really right. And, and even when they get them wrong, it's still at least chuckle worthy. And, and this was chuckle worthy. It's worth, worth a watch. Anyway, the acclaim get out, get a pretty big ovation. I think one of them's from Colorado, not a hundred percent on that. Um, anyway, the, the, the Spanish announce project never really had a chance in this match. Uh, Serpentico, of course, really never has a chance against anyone, nor should he. And Helico, I have no idea why or how he's still in AEW. Uh, he's one of those guys who was in the Andrade family office, which became the Hardy family office. Uh, at some point, the Butcher, the Bunny, and the Blade were there, too. They're, of course, not now. And and Helico and Jack Evans were, and then Jack Evans didn't get re-signed. And then Helico was there, then he wasn't. And, it, you know, it's you need one of those um, police conspiracy um, 
push pin boards where you have pieces of yarn connecting everything and going back forth and the other, um, like from enemy of the state or one of those, uh, movies or really any, any cop show where they have that just to follow where everyone's been, where they've gone and when they've come back. And it's all very confusing, but anyway, listen, the acclaimed double team, Dan Helico with the scissor me timbers, um, the acclaimed and gun are in the ring with Serpentico and gun slaps Serpentico basically slaps the, uh, Scales right off his face. Snakes have scales, right? They molt and that shit. They're they're reptiles. Um, Luther comes into the ring and gun punches him again with his right hand because that's his biggest move is punch, and that's fine. He's 59. He can do whatever the hell he wants. By the way, in news, Billy Gunn, I guess, did an interview with someone. I don't know who, who he did the interview with, but it's all over the place. And he was basically saying, hey, listen, I, I you know, I don't get into politics. I don't I don't like to gossip. Whether that was always the case, I don't know. He was, you know, part of the clique, or maybe he just had the right friends. I don't know if he was a gossip or not, but he said, I don't like to gossip. Anyway, he's 59 now, so he's gotten smarter and he, and he speaks more politically. He's like, and he's basically saying, Hey, listen, a, he was talking about CM Punk. He didn't reference him by name, at least in the, in the clips that I heard, but he, uh, said that, you know, if there's someone who is unquestionably a, a draw TV wise and attendance wise and CM Punk is, then you have to make that work. This is a business. And if he can help the company, that's all that should matter. And he can help the company. So she, people should see that as a positive. Um, so I think a pretty well put statement by Billy Gunn. I don't think he spoke any lies. And, you know, if everyone could stop acting like children and just act professional while on the job, you know, or in and around the job, um, it should help AEW. It, you know, it, it can only help AEW despite the mixed reaction that, that Tony Khan and others are getting when they mention CM Punk on the air, which I, I think took a lot of people by surprise, including me. I'm one of those people. I know what everyone's saying now that, that, you know, half the crowd, you know, is team elite and half the crowd is team punk and that the wrestling media has been largely been smearing punk for the last nine, 10 months. And, and all that is true. I still thought that, that the pop would be enormous, that they would be all excitement and there'd be some fighting on Twitter, but, but not, in, not so much in the real world, but no, it seems like it's big enough that it's in the real world too. So I guess wait and see. Anyone who knows me knows I like this. I like the drama. I like that, that, that there's not a peace in the valley here. Um, so this is all fun for me. Anyway, this went uh, to a commercial break, meaning this match, not uh, Billy Gunn's interview. It might have too. No idea. Don't even know what show it was on. I would give it credit if I did. Um, so anyway, I don't think it should come as any surprise to anyone to learn that the acclaimed won this match. Um, that the acclaimed did their uh, their tandem moves and um, uh, Caster did the big elbow from the from the top rope, um, which is an interesting finisher because he's not like that awesome at it. Um, there there have been better Savage, uh, Velveteen Dream, others, uh, but anyway, that's what he does, and he drops it onto poor Doctor Luther and. Luther uh, takes the pin. I think the acclaim call calls this the, the mic drop or the huge mic drop. Um, I think that's the name of it. It's something mic drop. Um, and they, they score the win. So there you go. And then they do uh, another scissor me section for the crowd to be happy. Um, 
Next on the entrance ramp, we are met again with Renee Paquette, and she's going to do an interview segment with uh, Jeff Jarrett. And he comes out, and the whole crowd comes out. You see Jay Lethal, you see Sanjay Dutt, you see Satnam Singh, um, and Karen Jarrett, of course, as well. And Renee is about to do the interview. She's she's going to ask Sanjay Dutt, and Karen Jarrett pulls the, the mic over to her, and she basically says something to the fact that we all know why we're here. And Renee, you don't have to play stupid. We're here because of some piece of garbage referee who thinks that she's anything but a referee. And I, whenever I get a chance, AW won't sanction this a match. But if I see her in catering, if I see her in the parking lot, if I see her anywhere, I'm going to kick Aubrey Edwards's ass. Um, and then Mark Briscoe's music hits. So we hear, reach for the sky, boy. And then Mark Briscoe comes out. He's got a microphone, and he's got Aubrey Edwards in tow. So um, I think it was Tony Schiavone says, looks like Aubrey brought some backup. Well, maybe. I'm not sure who inspired this. It, it sounded like it was Briscoe that did it. But anyway, they come out mostly together. Um, and Aubrey points out that AEW will not sanction a match between herself and Karen Jarrett because she's a referee. Um and that's due to the respect that she as a referee must maintain because we've never seen refs in matches before. Little Nate, Nick Patrick, Danny Davis, uh, you know, there have been others and, and not just special guest referees or guest enforcers either. Anyway, um, but uh, Aubrey then sort of repeats or rephrases Karen's statement that if she sees her in the back, that she will kick Karen's ass. Maybe it was Aubrey that said that, and maybe it wasn't Karen Jarrett. I, I sort of remember that Karen was making threats to Aubrey also. But anyway, Aubrey definitely said that she'll kick her, her ass, and I recall this clearly now because I remember the fans, you know, popping for that. And listen... I think Aubrey Edwards is a terrible referee. I think she takes too much glam on herself. She takes too much of the spotlight. Her her body language and the way she moves is it's like she's surfboarding or something. And you know, she's always always needs to be in the spotlight and taking the shine from the wrestlers. And that's refs are really supposed to be mostly invisible, you know, unless they're doing a counter, unless they're getting, you know, knocked out so that you could see them take a blow or, or whatever it is. But unless they're part of the story, they're just supposed to be in the background and she's not, she's always in the foreground. Anyway, Mark Briscoe points out that uh, he has always been two steps ahead of Sanjay and Satnam and Jay Lethal. Um, and also, you know, we saw Mark Briscoe fist bump Jay Lethal, no one else. So, you know, I'm, that's a little seed I think that we should be looking for because, you know, we may see another Jay and Mark tag team coming up soon, Jay Lethal and Mark Briscoe. Um, and I think that's okay. I'm, I'm all right with that. I think that this little Jared thing has, you know, run its course and they can probably put another heel with them. I, I, you know, I, I'm not pretending that Satnam Singh is going to be able to wrestle anytime soon. It, his his event horizon is probably never. But they, they can find someone else. Anyway, um, Mark Briscoe points out that he's had conversations with very important people in very high places. And you know, despite what he's tried, despite all his politicking, they will not sanction a match between Karen, Jarrett, and Aubrey Edwards. However, so I thought they were going to go with the, but they'll allow an unsanctioned match. Nope, they didn't do that. And it's probably for the best because neither of these people are actually wrestlers. Um, 
which hasn't stopped AEW in the past, but this time it did. So they have sanctioned a mixed tag team. So I thought it was going to be Mark Briscoe and Aubrey Edwards against Karen Jarrett and, you know, presumably Jeff Jarrett, but who knows, maybe Jay Lethal or whatever she pick out. But no, wrong again. This is a mixed trios tag match. Um, and then Sanjay takes the mic and says, yeah, 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 I'll do that. Do that thing. He's like, no, actually, I'm not going to do it. Um, and he says that Jay Lethal will tag with Jeff Jarrett and Karen Jarrett, and that's their team. Um, and uh, he points out then that he's not from Sandy Fork, Delaware, um, so he can count, and he can count to three, and that there's at least three on their team, but there's only two of Mark Briscoe and Aubrey Edwards. And Mark Briscoe says, no, he's got a third man, and the third man is the biggest man of them all. And, you know, I didn't know where he was going with this. I was I was reaching into, you know, who's working with Ring of Honor now? You know, who, who could it be? I was thinking maybe the big show. You know, you'd have Paul White come out. You know, he hasn't done anything in a while. He's still on the payroll for reasons. Uh, maybe Mark Henry. But, no, it was – it's Papa Briscoe, Mark's father, which, you know, he's – probably a tough old bird, but you know, he's, you know, I'm sure he's older than me. He's in the sixties and living hard. So, you know, this is a gimmick match. This is definitely sports entertaining. Um, I'm not excited about it. I think I would have been happier if it was, you know, pretty much anyone else. Uh, though I guess if Mark doesn't feel he can trust anyone else, then, uh, uh, his father makes sense. Um, anyway, probably the less said about this going forward, the better, all right, we come back from the break, and we've got Mark Henry, and Mark Henry hasn't really been doing these uh, split-screen interviews with the contenders in a while. He just does these pre-taped segments where he's talking about it's time for the main event, or it's it looks like there's been enough talking, or it sounds like there's been enough talking. It's time for the main event. Um, and this main event, as I alluded to a while ago, is a fatal four-way for a shot at the AEW Women's World Championship on Dynamite again on June 14th this coming week. And in that match, you have Britt Breaker. Okay, that makes sense. You know, I, I understand that she's injured, but she's been working through it. Okay, terrific. And, you know, she's a former champion. She deserves to be in there. Who else? Nyla Rose. Well, it's former champion, but, you know, every time I see her, she loses lately. Um, so I'm not really sure what she's done to deserve to be in this match. Sky Blue, who was out injured for a while, so I'm not really sure what she's done to, to deserve to be in this match. And then they found Mercedes Martinez. I haven't seen Miss Mercedes Martinez or heard her name since she lost the championship, the Ring of Honor Women's Championship, to Athena. But yeah, Mercedes Martinez is the fourth, and she comes out. Um, almost none of the women got any reaction. Britt Breaker got her DMD chant, but that was about it. No, nobody got a loud pop. The crowd was mostly on their hands for this and for the match. Um, anyway, so I want to move away from AEW for a second, just because sometimes in wrestling, there's coincidences that occur and other times it's just bookers copycatting each other, or maybe it's just the timing is strange, strange synchronicities because bookers are not that creative, but on NXT, and I know a lot of people don't follow NXT, but there was a battle royal to be, and the winner would be the number one contender to face Tiffany Stratton, who was their new NXT women's champion. 
And there was a battle royal, and then there's a character who's in Chase University named Thea Hale. She actually graduated high school about a year ago, so she's probably 18, maybe 19 now. She's sort of a, a little girl hyped up on energy, uh, sort of like Butch, except she speaks more and speaks loudly and clearly. And, you know, she's sort of like the, that little dog that wants to run off its chain and, and fight the big dog because she does know that the, the big dog is too big for her. Uh, but she does know, but she doesn't care. That That's sort of her character. Anyway, she won that battle royal, despite the fact that Dana Brooke from the main roster was in it, and there were you know other women who were more deserving. Point being is that nobody thinks that Thea Hale has any chance of defeating Tiffany Stratton for that NXT title. Uh, that that you know, and usually the num- the first contender to a to a title match doesn't win it. I mean, Miz versus Bobby Lashley, accepting. Um, few other exceptions out there, some notable ones. I, I mean, I think the Iron Sheik's first defense was to Hulk Hogan. I think, I think he did, did lose it. And, and there's probably been others throughout the history, but it's not the norm, especially when they've invested in somebody and they've invested in somebody that they want them to be sort of long-term, sort of at or near the top and, and in that top-tier conversation. So unless it's a fluke or some other kind of, you know, weird conversation or weird event, like like Zack Sabre, uh, not Zack Sabre, um, Zack Ryder, winning the Intercontinental Championship in, in front of his parents uh, at a WrestleMania and then losing it the, the next day. Uh, I think on, I think it was on Raw. Um, stuff like that happens. But, you know, th- they weren't investing in the Zack Ryder then. And, you know, in fact, he got released not too long after that. Anyway, not important. So they found Mercedes Martinez, and, and here we are on the match. So, you know, do any of these women realistically stand any chance of beating Tony Storm for the championship? I mean, but Baker, if she's in the match, sure, you could see it. Um, you know, or, you know, or maybe you could see that would be the breaking point between her and Jamie Hayter, who, you know, thinks that she should get the, uh, the match, but she's still out with an injury. Um, and they seem to have stuck together despite, regardless of who's had the championship. Um, had Mercedes Martinez been seen in the last, I don't know, year? Um, probably less than a year. Um, you know, maybe we'd believe it. If, you know, if Nyla Rose was booked even 50 50, uh, maybe we'd believe it, but nah. And Sky Blue, you know, of course not. I mean, she's, she's usually the person in the match to eat the pin. So why am I talking about all this? Because Sky Blue won the match. Um, basically, she pulled an Austin Theory. Uh, you know, somebody else actually delivered their finisher. Um, but Sky Blue ran in and kicked them out, um, of the, and, you know, to, and delivered the pin and got the one, two, three, um, uh, when, uh, Nyla Rose had been kicked in the face by Mercedes Mar- uh, Martinez. Um, and it was Britt Baker who dragged Mercedes Martinez on the outside. So, you know, Nyla Rose is still dazzled or days. And then sky blue comes in, hits with her finisher, which by the way, it didn't look like she hit it. Nyla Rose is too big for her. It's like sky blue sort of climbed up and over her. And it's like, she was doing like a hurricane, like a reverse hurricane Rana or her, her um, momentum was supposed to bring Nyla Rose down with her, but it, it really didn't look good. She should have like done like pretty much anything else. Like even a super kick would have been fine. Um, anyway, uh, she calls it the code blue and she pinned Nyla Rose. Um, Everybody was stunned, so here we have Nyla Rose. Uh, I'm not Nyla Rose. I'm sorry, Sky Blue. Everyone that's coming has a, is like their name is a company, is, is a color. Like Nyla Rose, Jade Cargill, 
red velvet. I mean, there's there's so many of them uh, out there. I guess that's not so unusual. Anyway, so it's Sky Blue. She's going to be the she's going to be the challenger this week. Um, we go backstage and we see Tony Storm and Ruby Soho are there, and basically they're scoffing at, at the chance. They're sort of giggling about it, um, and you know, wondering what you know you know, wondering why anyone would even want to go against her and, and, you know, and pointing out that it didn't matter, but you know, that they're going to beat whoever it is. And I'm not even sure that they reference sky blue. It's like, I think they might've taped this beforehand and no one told them who was going to win, or maybe they were just told like, it doesn't even matter, but they were acting Healy. Ruby Soho was actually doing more of the talking than um, Tony storm. Anyway, that was it. That was the, you know, that was the end of Rampage, and as I said earlier, at least this June 9th episode was, in fact, an episode of AEW television. It was an episode of AEW Rampage. I thought the flow was okay. I didn't think the show was particularly good, but it wasn't particularly bad, and and I thought the week before was bad. I mean, I think you could tell when it took 16 minutes to, to cover the darn thing, because it didn't even deserve to be covered. It was, Like I said, it wasn't an AEW television show. It, if that was a dry run for forbidden door being more of an all-in kind of thing or maybe all-in being an, an all-in kind of a thing that maybe though they should rethink that format because nobody wanted to watch it and i've run into a few fans on twitter saying that the car was stacked it was a great show but not many anyway uh that that show led to this one uh doing pretty poorly as well um the fast nationals are in and, and while that's not the final count it looks like Rampage may only be around 300,000 this week. Uh, again, in its regular time slot, I don't uh, I don't know that there was any uh, competition. Uh, by the way, the week that, that we're talking about, the week before, the, the, the second, where there was, uh, you know, all these four titles from different companies on the hook uh, and nobody watched, that's the week that SmackDown in its final quarters approached 3 million viewers. So there were already 2.9 something million wrestling fans tuning into wrestling by 10 o'clock who, if they were interested in just check, checking out wrestling, they could have continued, just flip the channel onto rampage and they didn't, um, you know, there, you know, that's represents about 700,000 more people than usually watch SmackDown. So even if you, if the 2.2 million is hardcore WWE and there's, None to very little overlap between AW, which is hard to believe. In that other seven hundred thousand, it's more casual. Would if they're home already, would they not want to check out AW? Well, apparently not so much. Um, this week, we're not sure about SmackDown. Their Fast Nationals also came in. It looks like they'll probably hit around two point four million, which is uh, a little bit higher than it's been normally. Two point two is is around where they normally have been doing. They they've they've spiked to two point four, two and a half a couple times, but that two point nine. The aggregate wasn't 2.9. The aggregate was around 2.5, 2.6. But hitting 2.9, especially in the end, you know, shows a lot about the the bloodline story and and Roman Reigns and and you know storytelling versus wrestling. But point being is that there have been solid wrestling audiences that have that could have served in lead-ins for Rampage. I mean, Rampage as big as numbers in recent memory um, was after the NBA. Uh, a playoff game ran late. I mean, you know, they they never end exactly on a half hour or an hour. Um, and, you know, so there was like like 1.4 million people who watched like the first half of Rampage. But, I mean, you know what happened. It Every restaurant 
bar, sports bar, you know, house people who are watching the game just didn't change the channel. They just, they just left it on there. So let's just assume it was just all bars and restaurants that just didn't change the channel because the bartenders were busy, the waiters were busy. By the time someone got around to say, hey, change the channel, uh, and they did, um, you could see from like quarter one, which was like 1.4 million, they went down to like 900,000 and then a little bit later down to 700,000. And then by the time you got to the, the last quarter, quarter and a half, it was back to like, you know, 400,000, 450,000, which is, yeah, sort of, sort of on the high end of their average. So, you know, <laughs> you know, people are saying back to their regular numbers, but no, I would say the 350s are back to their regular numbers. Um, anyway. I'm not sure that I've done a very good job today, and I apologize to the audience, but uh, it's exigent circumstances. I figured you, you deserve the show. Um, I don't like doing solo shows. Even my other shows, Garden of Doom and Garden of Views, I have guests, um, and it's a conversation. So I, I do much better working off somebody. Um, so hopefully it wasn't too arduous. Hopefully you got something out of it. Uh, you know, And if you didn't watch Rampage, maybe at least you feel like you got enough or felt enough to know what up to date you didn't really miss anything important if it means anything to you anyway i think i'm going to stop so if you want to find me on twitter it's at icarus you can find me on pretty much all the shows on the pwc um you can also find me well here on the Hami Media Group Channel Attitude for Uncaged. that's this very show here your big double episode uh though the length of it's going to be around a single episode for reasons uh, and smack attack, which uh, is also with uh, Chris Ams, Jimmy, when we can find him, and your one and only your very own John Enright, who's kind enough to have us on his show. Um, I have another wrestling podcast that's in the PWC family, also on the wrestling soup network called hammerlock hangover. We do it with big daddy, cool Steve Pena. We only do it every two or three weeks. Uh, we're supposed to be recording later tonight. So you can look for that. You can find it on the PWC just by subscribing to PWC. Or if you go on the Wrestling Soup Network and subscribe in there. Um, or you can just search for it wherever, you know, podcasts are. Apple, Spotify, Spreaker, Podbean, you name it. And my babies are Garden of Doom and Garden Views. Garden of Doom is esoteric, um, occult, arcane, UFOs, cryptids, monsters, mythology, theosophies, um, witchcraft, uh, history, alternate history, things that go bump in the night, whatever interests my curious little mind we go to. Um, show I dropped yesterday was about lucid dreaming with a hot topic, witch. her words, not mine. Um, I've done shows recently on Tartaria on Atlantis, actually two shows on Atlantis, um, among other things. And today I interviewed, a. uh, Kabbalist, who was also a student of Hermeticism, and we had a very interesting conversation, a lot of philosophy, um, a lot of numerology and, and names of God and things like that. So if you're in, if any of that sounds like it's of interest to you, I've got something for you. Uh, and Garden Views is similar style, but the topics are very different. They tend to be more legal, business, tech, science, topical, um, some... Uh, I, I've had two shows with professor, uh, professor Patricia DiGennaro, uh, who's worked for small places like the Department of National Intelligence, NATO, CENTCOM, um, George Washington University, NYU, place, you know, small places like that. And uh, the, the first show, we talked a lot about the war in Ukraine and sort of other military issues in uh, Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, and this second appearance of uh, 
she picked out six topics, three international, three domestic, meaning domestic U.S., that she thought everybody should know about. And she's going to be a recurring guest. We're, we're going to try to do this every two months where she's going to do things that, that we should know about. Um, on that vein, I've had Mike Hilliard on both shows. He's from the Red Line podcast. And so if you like geopolitics, his show was the best. But it's even better when he's on my show because uh, he can, you know, uh, roll, roll up his sleeves a little bit, and, you know, or loosen his tie or whatever the case might be. Um, anyway, if those shows sound like they're of interest to you, you can find them on the Hami Media Group. You can find them on PWC. You can find them on Wrestling Soup Network. Um, this Wednesday, I'm going to try to make a, an appearance on Drew Yari's uh, 300th episode to help him celebrate. I've been part of the Yari 6, the, the Drew Yari experience. Uh, and recently, I did a show with uh, Mish uh, from Wrestling Soup on some of the legal issues surrounding WWE and wrestling writ large. That show was about a month ago. Uh, I think you have to be a Patreon to get it. Um, also done shows with him on uh, fair use and copyrights, that kind of stuff. Um, almost always focusing on wrestling because, of course, it's the Wrestling Soup Network. All right, so that's enough talking for me. Appreciate your patience. Hopefully you didn't hate it too much. Stay evil, my friends. <laughs>